Well, we are going to continue our uh, series of testimonies. So I'm going to invite Bob Foster to come on up here, and we'll hear from Bob Foster today. There you go, sir. I'll give you that, and I'll grab the other chair. All right. Now, Bob, you're not native to Oxford. Um, how did you get here? Testing one, two. You're good. Am I good? Okay. Just don't lick uh, it, okay? I came here um, for a couple reasons, I guess. Uh, not too long ago. We've been here about two years now. And uh, we were looking for a place to retire. Finally got tired after many years of taking care of lawns and houses and repairs and, and all kind of other related things. And uh, so we were looking around at uh, places to retire. And we'd, we'd already considered or heard of Ware Village. Um, and we thought it was too far away. We were li lived in New uh, Newark, Delaware, Bear, Delaware. And uh, we have kids who live in Maryland and... And they, they, they didn't even come to Delaware very often. We figured they'd never come to Pennsylvania if we ever moved here. <laughs> we're this far away, so we never considered it. But then we had good friends who moved here uh, a little over two years ago. And uh, we got curious where they were moving to, so we looked it up online and, and found features of the houses that we really liked. And we decided, well, if the kids didn't come to Delaware very much, they probably wouldn't come to Pennsylvania any, any less often, so we decided to move. And, uh, and, and <laughs> we came to Oxford, and I've never lived in a small town like this before, and it was very interesting. Uh, we really liked where uh, the town was, was small enough that I could, could uh, see most of it in uh, 15 minutes driving around. And, uh, very true, yes. <laughs> Uh, actually, I, I, met, I met, made some comment to the sales lady at Ware that, gee, it's a really old little town, isn't it? She said, yeah, but there are a lot of things going on there, and there are. So we're finding out what some of them are. All right, good. Um, well, how did you get here to Waterway Church then? You moved into Ware Presbyterian Village. How did you get here to Waterway? Well, we were very active in our church in, in Bear. Uh, it was a Methodist church, and we'd been, both been in the Methodist church for many, many years. Uh, so we came here, and we went to Oxford Methodist Church, and, and we visited West Grove Methodist Church. And we've also visited the Baptist Church in town here, and uh, at a uh, Wesleyan church that's on the way to Quarryville. Uh, but Oxford and Ware and Waterway... Um, kept drawing us back. When we first visited, I guess there were a, a couple of things that impressed us. One of them was the number of kids here. Uh, our little church in Bear, Delaware was a much older congregation, and there, was very, there were a couple, couple of kids in it, but that, it's hard to get a youth group with that many. Uh, and the youth group here looked very active. Uh, people were friendly, and they, this was early in the pandemic time, and people wore masks, and that was important to us at that time. And so, uh, and we, we liked 
I guess maybe most of all, we like the fact this was biblically based. And uh, in the Methodist Church, there's a real division within the church, and if you know it or not, they're going to have a major meeting this coming summer, yeah. which will probably split the Methodist Church uh, into uh, conservative and liberal factions. I didn't see that kind of a split here, and I was glad to, to know that it wasn't here. And uh, then we got to know people, and that even made it even stronger. So that was a good thing, you got to know people. Yes. Okay, good, good, just making sure. Um, so how did you become a Christian? When did you trust Christ as your Savior? Oh, golly. Uh, well, I told Jesse I'd keep it less than two hours, but I'll try okay. and do, do that. <laughs> uh, I grew up in a church, a church family. We went to church regularly, and I went to Sunday school, and it was bored stiff. I didn't hear much that I was interested in. Um, and when I got to be a teenager, early teenager, I finally said to my parents, I'd really rather not go. And so at some point they agreed with that. So I didn't go to Sunday school or church anymore. And um, that pretty well was where I was. I, I began to reason why I didn't want to go, and, I, and I, I really couldn't accept what you had to commit to when you became a Christian or said you were a Christian. Um, and the, uh, the thing that um, really spoke to me was there's so many questions that Christianity deals with that are, we really don't know the answer to. I didn't believe the Bible at that point. I had a book written by some people that this is what they believed. Um, but I re really don't know what Christianity really is. And, and on the other end of the spectrum, I couldn't be an atheist either, because I said, they can't say there isn't a God. There's no way to demonstrate that or prove it. And so I was, there is a middle ground, if you were aware of it or not, called an agnostic. And basically agnostics say, I don't know. And that's where I was for many years uh, until my daughter was born. This was some many years later. And I had to, uh, we had to decide how we're gonna raise her. And I decided I wanted to raise her in the church to let her at least expose her to the Christian faith. So we did. And what happened was God got a hold of me through that. He didn't get a hold of my daughter even yet. <laughs> so we're still praying for that. But he got a hold of me. And I had to I began to think again and listen again to what he was saying and what the Bible said. And, and primarily, I guess, at some point, I, I'm, I'm an engineer, and science is really important to me, and I, I uh, can believe what legitimate measurements tell you. But the uh, science that I studied and finally got a hold of a, of a connected with a, with a group out in California, actually called Reasons to Believe, that, that uses science to confirm their Christianity. And they are legitimate, you know, to even belong to this Reasons to Believe organization, you've got to have it here doctorate. And, uh, and so they're, they're serious about their education, and, uh, and they're serious about their faith, and they're serious about their science. They say God speaks in two ways, he speaks through nature, and he speaks through the Bible. And they don't, they don't disagree if you're reading them right. And that really hit me. And that's kind of where I still am today. Wonderful. So what's God doing in your life? 
Well, <laughs> one of the things that really surprised me is when I got to thinking about it is he's, he's speaking to me in a way that I never kind of expected. Um, I've never, or maybe once, other than that, I've never really heard the voice of God tell me, you do, do this or do, do that, uh, believe this or believe that, except through the Bible. But um, uh, in, as I, especially since we moved here, but even before that, maybe it's just getting older is when this happens to you. <laughs> it, uh, I began to get these inclinations. You ought to be doing this. This was just kind of a mild, you know, kind of a leading. I couldn't tell you where it came from. And when I started to think about this, I thought, well, that's just my preferences coming out, you know, I'm just thinking what I would like to do if I had my choice and, and what I should do. And maybe it's just coming from me or maybe it's coming from Satan, if there really is a Satan. And uh, there, uh, it was, uh, I'm losing my train of thought for a second. The, the thing that, yeah, the thing that really convinced me that it wasn't just my own uh, nature speaking, was the fact that some of these promptings were things I didn't really want to do. And I frankly had, had no talent for them at all. I can feel comfortable doing some kinds of things and and reading and really inclined to other kinds of some things just don't speak at all. But I was getting leadings to go to do those kind of things sometimes. I thought, okay, well, that is not my nature to sound that. In fact, one of the strongest ones was here, right here at Waterway, when we did the community school business back in summer of 20. Is that what it was? Yeah, fall, fall of 20, F winter of 20. Fall, yeah, in the fall of 20. Mm -hmm. um, I got this prompting to go there and volunteer with this community's classroom. <laughs> this is so I did. I, I never did feel like I really belonged there as, a, as a somebody working with small children. Um, but I did, and uh, I enjoyed it, and they put up with me. <laughs> and so I got that kind of a leading that wasn't natural for me at all, but along with other things that, uh, that I felt more comfortable with. Um, Robin Martin, I could touch base with her about the uh, Oaks Houses when I read something about her in the bulletin, and I, I let her know. I, I volunteer with Habitat for Humanity in Wilmington, have for some years now. And we were lucky enough in, in that chapter to have a licensed electrician. And I got involved in the electrical group with, with Habitat. And so I and I have been for some years now, so I told Robin, look, if you have any electrical issues with your Oaks houses, uh, maybe I can help you. I'm not an electrician, and I don't have a license or anything like that, but I know how to do simple things. And so she got in touch with me, and I have been able to do it. A couple things with them, as well as lots of stuff with Habitat and other places. That's enough. Okay. <laughs> well, great. So God's been working your life by prompting you to go out of your comfort zone to do different things. Occasionally he does, yes. Wonderful. Yep. Good. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Bob. Appreciate that. You're welcome. And what a challenge for us to listen to the voice of God. And uh, maybe to prompt us to do things that we um, aren't comfortable in doing sometimes. Well, today we're going to continue our study in Mark 4. So, if you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 4, or turn on your device and go 
to uh, the book of Mark, chapter 4. And when I realized that this was the chapter that I was going to be speaking on this week, I got really excited because a guy with an email address, Veggie Garden Guy, should be speaking on the parable of the sower. Fits perfectly. So today's sermon really fits neatly into three sections. The first is the setting, verses 1 and 2. The second is the story, verses 3 to 9. And then the last is the solution, verses 10 to 20. So we have the setting, the story, and the solution. So say that with me. Ready? Setting, story, solution. Good. As Pastor Jesse and I were talking about this this week, he said, well, you know what, Steve? You could call it the seed, the soil, the savior, too. And I was like, well, I guess you could, but I like mine better. So. so I tell you what, I'll give you a challenge. Here's your challenge. If you could come up with another alliteration for these verses, I will share some of my candy stash with you. Okay, so you start thinking about that as we take a look at the parable of the sower here and see if you can come up with another alliteration for the setting, the story, the solution. All right, well, let's take a look at the setting then. Let's take a look at the setting found in verses one and two. On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, that's where we'll stop, we find that Jesus is by the lake. He is being pushed out into the water because there are so many people that have come to hear him speak. And so he is being pushed out in the water and it could have been one of Peter's boats, we don't know, but he got into this boat and he, uh, he pushed out a little ways from the shore so that the large crowd could stand there or sit there by the shore and hear Jesus speak. Now, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, um, you must have been really excited about what's been happening because so far you have seen Jesus heal people. You have seen Jesus cast out demons from people. You have seen large crowds come and follow Jesus because they wanted to hear what he had to say. And so when you take a look at it from that perspective, it's like, whoa, things are going great. Man, look at what we are attracting. You know, I'm sure if his disciples would have went to a pastor's meeting, you know, they would have said, yeah, our crowds are so large, they don't fit in the, in the rooms anymore. We have to go out by the, by the sea. You know, our, our meetings are so large that Jesus had to get into a boat, you know. I mean, things were going well from that perspective because there were so many people coming to hear Jesus. Let's go take a look at Chapter 1, verse 33. The whole town gathered at his door. Chapter 2, verse 2. So many people gathered that there was no room left. 
2.13, a large crowd came to him. Chapter 3, verse 3, a large crowd gathered, a large crowd from Galilee followed. 3.20, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. I find that interesting that uh, Peter puts that little notation in there. You know, there were so many people that, you know, didn't say, you know, it doesn't say we, we felt like sardines. No, he said it was so crowded we couldn't even eat. Some of you uh, can relate to that. We got to eat, right? Well, the last part of Verse 1 says, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So the setting for this true story is Jesus in a boat a short distance from land and people were gathered all around. Verse 2 says that he taught them many things by parables. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, now notice, he taught them many things. So it could have been more than just this story about the sower. It could have been a number of other parables as well. But we know that Peter mentions this story to Mark so that he could write it down. It says that Jesus was teaching them. He taught them many things. Jesus is imparting information so that the people could gather that information and understand it. Jesus taught them many things. Now the story Most of your Bibles have the heading, the parable of the sower. In fact, I even called it that, the parable of the sower. But when you think about it, it's really not all about the sower. It's about the soils. And so I think a better heading should be the parable of the soils, as we shall see. Verse 3 says this, listen, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So Jesus got the attention of the crowd. He said, hey, listen, okay, here we go. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Verse 4, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell along thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Now, as Jesus was telling the story about the sower going out and sowing the seeds, and that some of the seed fell on different kinds of soil, um, I'm sure that the disciples were like, well, no duh. I mean, 
That's just what happens when you're sowing seed because it kind of goes everywhere. And so, yeah, that's, we know that. <laughs> um, why are you telling us about this? I mean, I mean, I mean you tell us something we don't know because that happens all the time. We see that all the time. And so what's, what's with the story? Now, the last line, I'm sure, I'm sure had an impact on them because he said it came up on the fertile soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Now, I, I plant a garden. That's why I'm the veggie garden guy. And, you know, I have never had a crop that uh, produced 30 or 60 or even 100 times. How many of you farmers out there have had that happen when you planted some seed, that you got a return like that? How many would like a return like that? Yeah, yeah, but uh, what? Okay. So I'm sure when Jesus said that line, that multiplying 30, 60, 100 times, you're, that was like, well, oh, okay, okay, that, that's, that's interesting. And then he follows that up with verse 9. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, last time I looked, um, I think everyone here has ears. Um, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus was trying to make a point in that, yeah, it's more than just the sound waves that bang off your eardrum. It's, do you have ears to hear that translate into an understanding in your heart? Jesus like, you know, it's not just the sound waves that I want you to hear. I want you to hear with an understanding heart. That's your you hear so that there is a reaction to obedience. You hear so that there is a change in your behavior, a change in, in your life. Jesus' half-brother James wrote this sometime later. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So, why does Jesus teach in, in a parable? I mean, wouldn't it become easy just to, you know, okay, folks, here it is. Here's the things that I want you to know. How come Jesus speaks in parables? I mean, in some way, it'd just be easier just to come right out and say it. Well, hey, this is it. It has been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus frequently used parables as a means of illustrating profound divine truths. Stories that are easily remembered. Stories that have symbolism, that are rich in meaning. Parables were pretty common back in Judaism. And in fact, even in the Old Testament, you have um, the prophets using parables many times. 
Um, when Nathan confronted David, he just went and said, dude, you're a bad guy. You sinned. He says, I would tell you a story about a guy who had a sheep. And David's response to that shows the power of a story. And Jesus used parables many times. Talked about being bread and sheep and salt and light. Some of his parables needed really no explanation. But then there's this parable that needs a major explanation. And so Jesus says this parable of the sower sowing seed in different kinds of soils and says, okay, hey, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You can all go home now. Oh, okay. Um, And that's kind of what happened. Let's look at the solution now in verses, uh, starting verse, verse 10, okay? When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Before he interpreted this parable, Jesus was alone with his disciples and and some other people who weren't disciples that he chose, but these folks chose to follow Jesus. So the crowds have left. The crowds are gone. They heard this story of the sower sowing seeds, and it's like, okay, hey, if you have ears to hear, you know, let you hear. The crowds are gone. Jesus is alone with his disciples and a few other followers, and they're like, okay, um, we didn't get this one, Okay. We, we didn't quite understand it. And then Jesus says, well, the secret of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, the rest of the crowd that had gathered, those on the outside, it's said in parables because they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Because Jesus wanted to separate those who were truly interested in understanding the things of God and those who came because eh, it was a good show. You know, I, I like the healing parts. You know, when, when he healed that guy, that was really cool. And so, yeah, I, I want to see that. That's why I'm here. So Jesus is separating those who want to really understand and those who come, hey, it's a great show. <laughs> I, I, was, I tried to look this up this week and I couldn't find it. I, I was reminded of a Dennis the Menace cartoon. And Dennis and his parents were leaving church 
and they were meeting the pastor at the back door, and, and the dad, I forget his name, you know, Dennis the Menace's father's name, I forget it offhand, Henry, Henry. So Henry tells the pastor, pastor, that was a wonderful service. And Dennis the Menace said, yeah, it wasn't a bad show for a nickel. Well, that showed up bad pretty bad. Well, let's see what he put in the offering plate, huh? It was a nickel. But see, that was the attitude. They, they, they came for the show. And Jesus wanted to separate those who came for the show, and those who were interested in knowing about God. So why are you here? Why are you here this morning? You know what? The worship team's pretty good. I like the music. Is that why you're here? The sermons are okay. You know, it's, it's, it's good. You know, Sunday school's good, but why are you here? Jesus said, you know, there are those that uh, they come to see the show. They come to hear what's happening, but that's, that's all they do. Because you know what? If they would see to perceive, if, if they would hear to understand, they would get saved. They would be forgiven. They would turn from their sins. But you know, they're just here for the show. So to those with a genuine hunger for God, this parable is both an effective and memorable vehicle for the conveyance of divine truths. Our Lord's parable here contains a lot of truth that's going to hit every single one of you, just like it hit me. Let's take a look at the explanations. Verses 13 to 20. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then we understand any parable? The farmer sows the word, the word of God. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was so. You all here are farmers. You know that? You all here have the opportunity to sow the Word of God. So, in one way, you are the, the sower. And as you share the gospel, as you share the good news of Jesus Christ, the response is going to happen in three, four different ways. 
we're going to take a look at that. That's one way to look at it. You know, you are the farmer sowing the seed. And as it goes out, as you talk about it, as you share it, the response is going to happen in four different ways. Three of those ways aren't real good. So you know that as you share the gospel, most times it's not going to be in a real positive manner. The response is not going to happen very favorably. Another way to look at it, too, is that um, we are, our hearts are the soil. Because as the word of God goes out, how are you receiving it as far as being instructed by the word of God? For you see, like seed, the word of God is alive and able to produce spiritual fruit. But it first must be planted and cultivated in your heart. When we were singing the the songs, Ancient Words, it says, we have come with open hearts. And boy, I hope that that is true, that you have come with an open heart that is fertile so that the word of God can settle in it and can grow. But you know what? A lot of people respond with a hard heart. They just totally resist the word of God. You know, that, that can't be true. Bob, I, I love what you shared about that science group in California. Um, I'm, I'm reading a book now called Is Atheism Dead? It's a fascinating book because it's taking a look. John, this is one of your books you should read, man, because it's, it's just incredible. Um, I have to keep looking up the terms they're using because I can't understand it. It's, but what they're saying is, that science has taken us to a point where as we understand the universe, it had to have an intentional design to it. And, and even, even these atheists, these nanoscientists who you know, are studying this are even coming to the conclusion that They use the term, the universe is so fine-tuned. That's the new key phrase. Right, Bob? You heard that? Yeah. That's the new key phrase, that the universe is so fine-tuned that it, it had to have a design to it. And if you have a design to it, you have to have a designer behind it. And it's fascinating. Even this, what, Christopher Hitchens, this, yeah. I, I mean, he, I mean he, his mind is so far beyond. You know, if we would put all of our minds together, still probably wouldn't reach up to Christopher's. I mean, he's just, um, he's even said, you know, as I have studied science and math, it doesn't make sense unless it was intentionally designed. I mean, the size of the earth, the size of the moon, the the exact distance from the sun, the size of the sun. I mean, there are too many things to all come together so that we can have life on earth, that it cannot be a chance. It just cannot happen that way. 
But yet, you know what? Satan, <laughs> Satan takes that and uses it and pulls a lot of people away. The hard heart, the shallow heart, where people joyfully accept, yeah, this is great, yeah, I love church, yeah, yet when something hard happens, you know, it's not working out for me. And unfortunately, I have heard that by a dear friend of mine. He said, you know what, Christian, it's not working for me. The crowded heart. This is a struggle for me. I mean, it's a struggle for you. Where the earthly desires of doing things, wanting things, gets in the way of what am I doing for God? Am I listening to God? Because you see, the desire is not just that the plant sprouts, I mean, when I go to my garden and I look at my plants, I just don't, I'm just not happy that, oh, they look nice and green. I want stuff on those plants. I want to see the string beans hanging there. I want to see the lima beans hanging there. I don't want to see the tomatoes hanging on the plant because I hate tomatoes. But I do plant them for my wife because I love my wife and she loves tomatoes, so... You know, I want to see the corn on the corn stalks. I just don't want to see the plant. I want the fruits. And that's what God is saying to each of you. He's saying, look, I, I want to see the fruit in your life. I want to see that the word of God has taken hold and that now there's fruit happening in your life. So where are we? Where are you as it comes to these soils? Um, you know, I'll tell you what, I've even gone out to my garden and dug up the soil because the seed didn't grow. You know, what in the world? Come on, you know. I wonder, wonder what God thinks when he sees no fruit in our lives, when the word of God's been planted. The word of God's been there. You have, you have heard it. I wonder what he thinks when it's like, doggone, how come there's no fruit? I dig up the soil to see what happened to the seed. Huh? How do you make your heart a fertile soil for the word of God to grow? Here we go. How do we make your heart a fertile soil for the word of God? Number one, come with an open mind and heart. Just like we sang. Lord, I come with an open heart, open mind. To Sunday school, to worship. Come with the idea of, you know, I'm not here for the show. I'm here to worship. And I'm here to not only hear the word of God, but to understand it and to apply it in my life. As you read the Bible, God, what, what is it that you want me to know today? These are all great ways that the word of God is sown into your heart 
every day. <clears throat> Another one is Christian music. Um, I, I drive everybody nuts here in the office because, man, I get in and turn on my music. I hear Lana's door going, slam! Well, not quite, but, you know, Jesse shuts his door, you know. I love music. And I have learned to tone it down so I'm not bothering other people. But, man, Christian music is a great way to sow that seed in your life. Small groups, friends. <laughs> I even thought of this one too last night. Um, your spouse is a great way to have the Word of God sown into your life. Because they say the thing that cuts right to your heart sometimes. It's like, oh man, now what am I going to do with it now that I know about it? Also, being surrounded by God's creation. Ways that we can make our hearts a fertile soil for the things that people plant in there. Having an open heart. It takes work, man. <laughs> it takes work. Um, there's a lot of rototilling and hoeing and spraying to get those crops to grow and produce fruit. And it's going to take a lot of work in your heart also so that the seed of the Word of God can grow and mature so that there can be fruit because that's what God is after, the fruit in your life. So, as the seed of the Word of God is going out, what's your heart's response? Yes, God, I want to learn. I want to know. I want to produce fruit for you because of what I have heard, because of what I've been challenged to do. Or as you're sitting here this morning, have you let the distractions of this coming week or what happened last week sidetrack you from hearing the word of God? Every day, every situation that comes our way is an opportunity for us to till our hearts and draw closer to God. Hosea 10.12 says this. Plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Does your heart need plow this morning? Does your heart need to have some work on it so that the word of God can take root and grow so that you are producing fruit? Because that's the ultimate goal. Produce fruit in your life. 
The fruit of the Spirit. That's what he's after. Becoming more like Jesus in everything we say and do. Let's pray. Lord God, many times, yes, our hearts are ripe. They're fertile. We're ready for that seed to be planted. Other times, it's difficult to have that seed take root and grow because of the distractions of our life, because of the things that we're facing. But Lord, I pray that you would help us as your church to have a heart that accepts the word of God so that it does produce fruit, so that other people can see the love of God in our lives. The other people can see that, yes, there is something vastly different because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, producing his fruit that is touching the world. So, Father, continue to work in us. Continue to help us to break up the hard ground so that we can produce fruit for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us once again in our time of, in our closing song. This is an older hymn that uh, speaks to what was just preached about, just allowing God